Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Boat lines it into left field, a base hit, Cespedes will score, and the Oakland A's walk off with game two of the ALDS. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. And Turner in the air, center field, that ball's hit well. Martinez on the run, this is way back, and it is gone! It is a walk-off home run for Justin Turner! The doctor is now in... Yes, it is a Friday. Get ready for the weekend. Hour number two of the show. T.C. Martin Ballpark. Frank with you right here. Cubs. Cubs win. Cubs win. Holy cow. Are they going to go to Froggies in Highwood on the way home? Maybe have a Budweiser or something. Cubs win today. Was it Was it 15 to 2 or something like that? 15, 15 runs. 15 to 15 yep. runs. 17 hits. Yeah. And the Cubs all of a sudden, boom, have exploded. Offense rolling all of a sudden. Yeah, they could not hit anything up until the last few days. So, good for baseball. There you go. All right, shout-out, self-serving shout-out to to my good friend Dusty Baker. 1,900 wins. He got it last night as the Astros defeated the Angels 8-2. 1,900 wins, putting him 14th all-time on the managerial list for victories. So he's moving his way up a uh, few more victories. He'll pass Bruce Bochy, which I kind of like because Bochy is the one who replaced him in San Francisco. So uh, congratulations to Dusty for his 1900th victory last night. That boy is good. Yeah, so very happy for him. And I know um, his goal has always been, and I know we've talked about it on the show you know, with him, is 2,000 victories. Because if you get 2,000 victories as a manager – Basically, you are in the Hall of Fame. You will get in the Hall of Fame. So the only two things that are missing for him that I know that he personally wants to accomplish is 2,000 victories and, of course, a World Series title, which he's been so close on several occasions. Which means more to him? Definitely the World Series. Okay. I was going to say that that would be my first thought, but, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, But, again, you know, when you have been managing as long as he has – and, you know, again, you're talking, you know, going on 30-plus years, 35 years, and you accumulate that many victories, now you want to get to that number because, you know, 3,000 hits is a big thing for a, a player to get 3,000 hits. You know, 300 victories for a pitcher. For managers, that number, 2,000, it, it basically puts you – in Cooperstown, yes. so kind of like you the 500 home runs, exactly. You know, there you go. Which I don't know exactly. that that's as much as it used to be. Correct. It, it, with the steroid era and Correct. everything else yeah. out there now, but, but still, I mean, it's but the, the milestone. But, it, but it, it's one of those magical numbers. When you yeah. reach that, you pretty much expect to be a Hall of Famer. Right. Right. So now, the thing about it is, he could have reached 2,000 by now, but again, you had the shortened season last year. And again, they made it to the ALCS to game number seven, almost made it to a World Series. And I know that, uh, you know, he had some years where he had to take off because he went like two years in between jobs and, you know, wasn't being hired after there was a gap 
you know, after the Cubs, he went to work for ESPN because, you know, there were no job openings. So he had to wait to, for, you know, a decent job to open. Then he went to Cincinnati, same thing. And then after Cincinnati, he was unceremoniously let go after leading them to the playoffs. And and then he had to take off a couple of years again. Then he got, okay, I'm probably never going to manage again. And then the Nationals job, he got that. It's like, okay, I'm on my way to to 2000 now. But then again, you know, after that happened, after the craziness that happened at the end of that the playoff uh, series. Um, he goes, well, people don't want me because I'm approaching 70 years old at the time and this and that. Am I going to get there? And then he got the job with the Astros. Like, two seasons. I'm going to get the 2000. And then we had COVID. So it's like he's going to need another season, more than likely, unless they go on this great run. Because remember, playoff victories, World Series victories, they count for your managerial wins. So if you do the math... You know, he's probably going to need one more year. And, I'm, again, don't know if he's going to get it. Well, again, that's the thing that a lot of people maybe don't realize in that, how much stuff has to go in there. You do have to find a job, but it's got to be a good job. You, yeah, I don't care how good of a manager you are. If you don't have talent on the field, you're not going to win. Then you have to know your staff. You have to have longevity. You've got to be in that right situation. You've got to hope that injuries or something else doesn't shorten a season. I mean, I'm sure there were managers out there in the strike shortened seasons that they, you know, they had in that. So there's a lot of different factors. Like you mentioned, in this particular case, going to the playoffs is a benefit. Now, in some sports, it's just regular season stats that count in that sort of stuff. With the home runs and the hits that we were talking, the 3,000, the 500, those, the playoffs don't count. But for the managerial stuff, you're saying that it does. So even that's a little bit different uh, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on. Yeah, when you look at, uh, you know, in Dusty's case, he lost six years. Think about that. Losing six seasons, you know, two years, at least two years in between jobs. And that's, that's tough, man. That's tough to lose six years when you're taking teams to playoffs and you're the prime of your career. Lose six seasons, yeah. This thing, how many victories he could have. He'd be well over, well over 2,000. And, and again, like you said, 25, he, 2, he, he thought maybe, maybe he was too old. Yeah. Then he gets another shot, and then you have a guy like Tony LaRusso who's all of a sudden getting another shot, right. and I'm sure he thought he was done. So you never know exactly what's going to happen because weird things happen in sports sometimes. And But the bottom line is you got to have somebody that believes in you, somebody that wants you, but you also have to have the talent around you, and then you have to circumvent that and do a good job with them. Yeah. I mean, you look at the – the the managers, uh, Connie Mack, obviously he he's got the most at uh, you know thirty seven hundred and thirty one, John McGraw two thousand seven hundred sixty three, and who's third on that list? You just named him, Tony Larusa, Larusa. Yeah, twenty seven hundred victories, twenty seven thirty seven. But when you look at these managers, okay, so Dusty currently is is fourteenth right now, so he's got uh, two more victories, and then he'll tie Gene Mock. Gene Mock had uh, 1902, Casey Stengel 1905, Bruce Bochy, uh, you know 2003. So you, you get to 2000, boom! All those guys above that: Leo DeRocher, Walter Austin, Joe McCarthy, Bucky Harris, Sparky Anderson, Joe Torre, Bobby Cox, and then we mentioned the top three, and you know uh, Connie Mack, John McGraw, and Tony Larusa. So it's it, look at those names, but the common denominator with all of those guys. They were with an organization or two organizations for a long period of time because you need the longevity, and they're all 
had winning clubs. They were on winning teams. So, you know, being, you know, with the Dodgers or the Giants or the Yankees way back in the day with all those solid teams, it's going to allow you to rack up victories. Look at Joe Torre, you know? I mean, you know, with the Yankees, all those years with the Yankees, they were almost 100-win teams every year. That helps you. you. You really don't get the guys that are, you know, with these bottom feeder type of teams. Even though back in the day, you go back in the 70s and the 80s, they would like stay with managers for a longer period of time. We'd see guys on, with, with losing teams, and they'd still be there maybe for seven, eight, nine years. Yeah, and, that's and, not the case anymore. No, and you, and you take a guy like you mentioned, Leo DeRocher there. Even with the Cub teams, although they didn't win a World Series in that, they were good teams that always had a lot of wins. They just happened to run up against the St. Louis Cardinals, who were just a juggernaut back in those days. So, you know, you're not necessarily – they also didn't have as many playoff teams and the wild cards and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, 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 it is difficult. But you, you could rack up wins without necessarily even going to the playoffs in the postseason and certainly winning World Series back then. But, of course, where that hurts you is that you don't have any of those playoff games then around you. You know, I mean, you know, maybe some, uh, again, maybe some of the young, younger people out there don't remember that, you know, when Leo DeRocher started and he had a guy named Willie Mays playing for him and he was like, don't worry, kid, as long as I'm here, you're going to, you, you you have a job. Before that, he had Jackie Robinson. Yeah, he had Jackie Robinson. Yeah, so think about it. He got but, a majority, but remember, majority of his victories were with the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants. And then he went to the Cubs. His Cubs were six, seven years. Yeah. And again, not you know they were good, but they weren't perennial playoff teams as we know. Yeah, but but yeah. I, I just remember the story about when Willie Mays was there, and Mays said he thought sure he was going back to the minors, and he didn't know if he'd ever get another shot because I think he went over for his first twenty at bats. Right. And DeRocher said, "Kid, calm down. As long as I'm the manager here, you have a spot." And he said that relaxed him, and then of course he became the player that he became. Plus, he was on an episode of The Munster, so I mean, you, you got that, that right. I mean, that was incredible. Herman could crush the ball. Absolutely. Herman could do it all. I mean, her, basketball, I mean, t- you know, take it on Moose Lowry and, uh, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The football, when he punted it completely out of the park. Yeah. Just, whoo. Yeah, exactly. Remember he hit the baseball and he, you know, he hit DeRocher in the head downtown, right? Well, yeah. Where's he, the nearest park from here? You know, about three miles. Yeah. <laughs> and he hit the ground ball that literally went in the dirt yeah. to third base. and Yeah. One thing that Herman really couldn't do that well is play golf. Remember what he did? He tore up the golf course pretty bad with, with those drives. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing he probably in wasn't a great fielder in baseball either because yeah, yeah. I don't think he had cleats. Right. <laughs> he didn't. That's why he, he tore up the golf course, walked around the green, you know. But back to the managers. Uh, who's your top? I mean, I know who, who the top win, you know, win leader, but who is, you know, one of your two favorite managers of all time? Um, I, I, mean, I, I actually did like La Russa. I thought La Russa did a really good job, mm-hmm. you know. Um I, I, I got to admit, um, <laughs> I, I kind of liked um, uh, Finley. Oh, yeah? Uh, be, because, I mean, not... not um, uh, you're not talking about Charlie Finley. I mean, talk, no, uh, Billy Martin? No, no, no. Uh, uh, with, with, with Oakland. Yeah. Well, La Russa, and, and then there was Billy Martin, and then, uh, you know, Charlie Finley was the owner. No, of, Charlie of Finley was the owner. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe I'm blanking. Dick Williams. Guy. Dick Williams. There you go, yeah. I, I, I am partial to Dick Williams because I got to know him a little bit. And, Dick got, and, and kinda, got 1,500 wins. Yeah, kind of became friends with him a little bit and that and, and things like that. So, you know, and, and, you know, with the just the fact that he made a chance to win World Series and have the success he did there working for a guy like Charlie Finley. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I yeah. mean that must have been tough to circumvent with 
players like Jackson and the other guys and the prima donnas he had, and then with an owner like that, I, I, I always thought that he was a really good, maybe a bit underrated manager. Yeah. Uh, Dick Williams, like I said, 1,571 yeah. wins, and right above Dick Williams, Tommy Lasorda. And, of course, we talked a lot about Tommy Lasorda to, with Steve Sachs. And, uh, Who was also a coach long before he was managing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, if, yep. if he would have gone into managing earlier, yeah. his numbers would obviously be even better. Yeah, 1,599, and we talked about that before with Lasorda. You know, one victory shy of 1,600. But, uh, yeah, uh, they're, you know, Lou Pinella is a guy who had over 1,800 wins. You know, Jim Leland had 1,700 wins. And I think a lot of people, you know, talk about Earl Weaver. It's going to sound bad. Say Earl Weaver only had 1,480 wins. But I think a lot of people thought that, that he had a lot more. But, again, those Baltimore Oriole teams, I mean, there there was a stretch there where they were pretty good there in, in the 70s, and especially in the early 70s, mid-70s. Well, they but, did one thing that will never be done they, again when they had the four pitchers with 20 wins uh, in the same season. Yeah. I mean, forget yeah. about anything like that yeah. ever happening again. The, if you get one guy that gets 20 wins, it's a, yeah. hey, give him the Cy Young. And the closest thing to that was, you know, 15, 20 years later with the Atlanta Braves, you know, when you had Smoltz and Glavin and Maddox and, yeah. and, and those guys. You know, that was, that was something special. Sparky Anderson, how about him? 2,194 victories for Sparky Anderson. Very fiery, had a lot of good teams, the big red machine. I was not a fan of that team. I respected what they did, but, you know, I just probably because I liked other teams and I, I didn't like all their stuff. But, boy, I mean, you never wanted to play them. Right. And then you mentioned Tommy Lasorda. I mean, he was a coach under Walter Alston. And Walter Alston, you know, over 2,000 victories, 2,040. So Walter Alston, you know, he's right up there, you know, in the, in the top six so, yeah, Lasorda, you know, if he uh, would got his opportunity a little bit earlier, would have had more victories. Yeah, and, and I know you mentioned a guy like Connie Mack way back before either one of our times in that, but, boy, they, they say that he was just uh, – you talk about your hard-nosed managers and that kind of stuff, you know. People might remember when Billy Martin and Reggie wanted to go at it in the dugout. <laughs> Apparently, Connie Mack did that frequently with his players. Yeah, right. <laughs> talk about my way or the highway. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. Remember back in those days, I mean, the managers didn't wear uniforms. You know, a lot of times... I still think that's silly that they do. And yeah. and I know you're a traditionalist, and I don't mind it because I'm used to it because I've it seen it my whole it life. It didn't start out that way, though. Right. Well, unless you were the player manager, which they had plenty of. You know, yeah. Connie Mack was one of those guys, too. Wasn't Frank Robinson a player manager Absolutely. for a season or two? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, he was. Def- yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Frank Robinson. There's, there's another one right there. So yeah. and, and again, you're talking about those Orioles teams. I mentioned the 420 game winning pitchers, but... Boog Powell, Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson. I mean, they had some stacked teams mm. there. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, congrats to Dusty for doing it. And hopefully, uh, I know a lot of people still don't like the fact that he took over the Astros. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll see if they can uh, start winning some ball games again. Start off really uh, on fire. But, man, the A's. Look at the A's right now. They continue to roll after starting the season 0-6, winning 11 in a row. So and baseball is a very streaky game too, and I know that I, I know that we talk to a lot of different sports book directors and and that sort of stuff too. And it, it's one of those sports where some people just say if you got a team that's hot, just stay on them, keep on playing yes. it out until that till that streak ends or whatever, because you can stay hot for a while. Like you mentioned with Oakland, a game that they absolutely should have lost the other day, and everything the stars just aligned and they found a way to win. Weird things happen in baseball when it when it comes to streaks like that, whether it's an individual player with a hitting streak or something, or or certainly teams when they get on winning streaks. All right. 
All right, looking at some uh, NFL news. The uh, Kansas City Chiefs uh, made a pre-draft day move. They get Orlando Brown, uh, the offensive uh, lineman from the Baltimore Ravens, got him via trade today. And uh, the Chiefs, they really wanted this guy. They uh, gave up four draft picks to get Orlando Brown. And I think Kansas City is looking at this like, wow, okay, we've got Patrick Mahomes. Okay, we've got, you know, great wide receiving core. Uh, and, and Mahomes in his mid-20s, hasn't even reached his peak yet. Good running backs, defense fairly solid, but now they need that offensive line. And especially, I think, you know, seeing what happened with Mahomes, where he wasn't mobile last year, you know, had the toe injury and that sort of thing. you got to protect your franchise quarterback, and Orlando Brown is one of the best. So he's going to come over from Baltimore. And when you look at what the Chiefs gave up, they gave up a first-round pick for you know, this year, but it was the 31st pick in the draft. So... You know, as for close me, for to me, a second-round pick as you can have. Exactly. So it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a, it's a great move you know, by the Chiefs to say, okay, look at we could get 31 this time. we got a chance to get you know, a guy that can be the anchor of our offensive line. Let's go get him that still has plenty left in the tank. So nice move by the Chiefs. Yeah, and, and, you know, if he stays healthy and he does what they want him to in that, it, it is a nice move. But they also, let's face it, after being exposed by Tampa Bay, they, they have to make some changes yep. or something, you know. Like you said, I mean, you want Mahomes running around and doing everything he can do, but that's not always a given. So you do definitely want to protect uh, protect the quarterback and things out there. You know, Mahomes also makes a lot of money. So as good as he is in that, you know, you have to try to fill in and, and help teams out where you can. You know, hopefully this is a good move for Kansas City, but uh, you know, everybody just thought they were going to run roughshod over everybody and just win another Super Bowl. It's tough to win Super Bowls, so and and I think they're seeing that a little bit now. And with free agency and teams changing all the time, you know, it's uh, that's why I know we're talking about the draft coming up, and everybody's always excited about the draft. I tend to look more at free agent signings and that kind of stuff because these are guys that you know or at least think you know what they're going to give to somebody else. Everybody else in the draft, you don't know how they performed on an NFL field. No, with the free agents, I mean, you're going to get your instant gratification or instant bust. I mean, you're going to know, and you're going to have to pay for it as well, too. But again, you know, a lot of general managers have different modes of operation. They, you know, like building through the draft. We saw that with Ted Thompson all those years in Green Bay. And, you know, Mark Murphy a little bit different now, thinking like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, we'll, we'll pick up some free agents. But, um, yeah, two, two, two different uh, modes here. NFL draft coming up uh, next Thursday, and we'll have a lot more draft coverage all week next week with uh, Trevor Maddich and Steve Berline, Houston Nutt, all of our college guys will be uh, diving into uh, that. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a show unless we had police blotter news. Steelers cornerback Justin Lane arrested early this morning. Lane was arrested on suspicion of felony transportation of a firearm inside of his vehicle. This took place in Lake County, Ohio. Uh, He was also charged with two misdemeanors, driving with a suspended license and exceeding the speed limits. Lane was booked just after what time? 2 a.m. 3 a.m. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Police said they initially stopped Lane for going 89 miles per hour in a 60-mile-an-hour zone. So that would have to be a freeway, right? I mean, <laughs> unless it's just some open road there, I guess, possibly. I don't know. Have you, seen the way that, have you seen the way that some of these people in this town driving that kind of stuff when yeah. they go in these neighborhoods and they're busted for that kind of stuff? Yeah. You know, maybe 89 is the new number he wants to wear. Okay, so that's one thing. <laughs> you know, driving crazy. But again... 
you're out at three o'clock in the morning, week uh, weekday, and you have a firearm in your vehicle. <sighs> I don't know, man. Just, is that something that everybody really needs to do to, to carry a firearm in the vehicle? A is lot of like, professional athletes think they do right. for their own protection and things yeah. like that. I'm not saying that they do. I don't. I'm not a professional athlete. I don't know what their lifestyle is. I don't know how often people come up and challenge them and that sort of stuff, but it seems like an awful lot of them do. Well, obviously it's illegal. That's why that uh, he got arrested uh, you know, for this. Now, did he also say, and maybe I'm thinking of a different thing that I just saw on TMZ the other day, but he claimed that he had a permit for a firearm, but then they said that this particular gun was illegal, so that was became where it became even a little bit sketchier. Because I know there was recently a professional athlete that got pulled over, and the police said, you need to holster that thing. Yeah, I think it's Be- somebody else, because this just happened you know, early this morning. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I saw one a couple days ago where somebody had that, and they actually had the gun in their waistband. And they were like, uh, you know, you remember what Plaxico Burris did? You could be shooting yourself, and you might be shooting uh, off your junk or something yeah. like that where you have it. Holster the weapon. NBA news. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. suspended for COVID protocols. All right, get up the music, Numchuck, because we know what's coming here. How do NBA players break COVID protocols? Uh, What's bringing the ladies into uh, hotel rooms. Very good. Or they're going to the strip club. There it is. Making it rain. Kevin Porter Jr. went to a strip club in Miami with Sterling Brown. Now, this is the same night that Sterling Brown was assaulted. Miami-Dade police said that Brown had multiple lacerations throughout his body when they arrived at the strip club at, want to take a wild guess? This is even better than what we normally say. Arrived at the strip club at 6.53 a.m. 6.53 a.m.? That's when day shift is starting up. Why would anybody go there then? I'm assuming it must have been a 24-hour club because... Oh, yeah. Well, if you remember when... um, when uh, Stallworth hit hit the pedestrian coming out of the strip club there in Miami years ago when he killed yeah, the man. Kinda, yeah, I remember that. It, it was coming out about 7 a.m. So these guys are going into the strip club at 6.53 a.m. And, and here's the, the weird part about this. Okay, uh, Sterling Brown has been sidelined by a knee injury. Okay, So he hasn't been able to play. And uh, so he goes out and, get, and, and he's assaulted. And Kevin Porter Jr., is with the Rockets right now. These guys are teammates. And uh, one is is being sidelined, okay? He's injured. The other guy's not, but they're both hanging out with each other at the strip club at 6.53 a.m. and getting assaulted. Uh, crazy story here, but not surprising. Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, Junior was looking for a senior, Rita. Yeah. <laughs> It's too bad. Kevin Porter Jr. came over in a trade and has been playing some really good basketball. But, again, you can't go to the strip club. COVID, not COVID. I don't care if it's COVID. I mean, COVID, you're supposed to be locked down. But, again, these guys are still doing it. They're going out on their own, breaking protocol. And, again, if you're going, I don't think you're just getting up at 6 in the morning and, hey, first stop, let's go to the strip club. You're out all night here. Okay. Maybe the club had their breakfast buffet going on. I know some here, some of them have dinner buffets, and I, I have no idea. 
I, I do not know. Are there food options over at Speed Dial 3 where Nunchuck goes? No? I, I, I don't think so. Is it, there's buffets there? Nothing no. fresh. No. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple lacerations. I want to hear more about the story. Multiple la- lacerations throughout his body when they arrived at the strip club. And, yeah. That's brown after being assaulted? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Man. I don't know. Transport I... to a local hospital. I don't know. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore, gun arrest. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm it, sure it, it's more and more. It just doesn't stop here. Sure, 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 the Rockets aren't too happy with their rehab assignments that they're doing right now of going to the club at 6.53 a.m. Uh, so this goes to your Plexico Burr story. So a, a cop was so concerned for Marshawn Lattimore after finding a gun near his groin area, he's warned him. He says, you're going to shoot your... Yeah, oh. yeah, that, that's the story I saw. That was I, I, I saw that on TMZ, yeah. I mean, the, the, the police were being very nice to him in that, telling him to holster the gun and get it in that. There it is. And, and he said, I, I, have a, I have a permit for the gun, but then they found out that the gun was actually stolen. Right. Yeah, Lattimore and three others, uh, they were stopped in, in Cleveland. This is going back to March 26th, so a few weeks back. Say the driver of the vehicle had committed multiple traffic violations, and the cop says, hey, dude, you're going to shoot your, your D off. Yeah. I'm going to shoot your Johnson off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'll just leave it at that. How's that? Scott Spritzer is going to join us when we come back. We will talk some Major League Baseball betting as well as NFL win totals, little draft props, all coming your way next. It is a Friday. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. All right, looking ahead towards the weekend, plenty of baseball, UFC, NBA action. So let's uh, talk to our good friend, our sports betting guru, Scott Spritzer, Doc Sports, Mr. Vegas himself. What's going on, my man? How's it going, TC? It's going great, man. Appreciate you uh, joining us. Getting ready for a little busy baseball weekend? Oh, yeah. Always good to be on with you and always... uh... Always busy with something going on, and it's Major League Baseball this weekend, no doubt about it. All right. Uh, you know, NFL draft coming up next week, too. So, obviously, you know, that is picking up uh, some steam. We were talking to our good friend Chuck Esposito yesterday, and he had all kinds of draft props that we were touching upon there, and then also, you know, win totals. So, you will see a lot of betters, you know, start to get back into that football mode at this time of year and think, yeah, those season win totals are. Are, are very, very popular. I don't know when you look at that stuff, Scott. I know that they put these numbers up immediately after the Super Bowl. I'm one to tend to like, okay, let's wait till at least after the draft and as the season progresses a little bit. Uh, when you look at season win totals, when is the best time uh, you know, to jump on these uh, type of things? I generally start in mid-April and, and did so again. Uh, started looking at wins totals about seven or eight days ago. Uh, but I, you know, get even more serious, obviously, about it. Not as much after the draft as I do. Well, you know, about almost kind of correlate sometimes with the draft is when you get uh, the schedules themselves. So we know the opponents. We know those, like you mentioned, you know, a couple of months ago, who everybody's going to play. And then when they finally, you know, come up with the schedules and, and who's playing who, when, and where, that's when I really jump into it. But uh, what I do is I take what, uh, teams are, you know, the teams that uh, these guys are going to be playing, like each team in the NFL. I'll look at their opponents, and I'll look at that in early April, 
and I'll give my grades to those opponents. So I'm all set and I'm all ready to go when the schedules come out and when the draft happens. And, uh, you know, I already kind of got a good feeling of what teams I think are going to go over their projected totals, what teams are going to go under. But it makes it a lot easier to just plug those into the schedules once they come out, who's home and who's away and how they fall in the order that they fall. Right now we just know, you know, for instance, like the Raiders. We know who they're playing at home. We know who they're playing on the road. We just don't know when and where. So it's a situation where I get like probably 70% of my over-under wins totals handicapping done uh, before the draft. So was there a team or two that really stuck out to you that said, hey, wait a minute, uh, there's some value here. Maybe these lines makers have, have got something wrong here. Have you noticed that when you started looking at it here the last week yeah. or two? I mean, I think the, the Chiefs are, are going to be hard-pressed if you're going to try to bet them under 12. I don't think you're going to do too well there. And if they've got a, an extremely easy away schedule, uh, relatively speaking, to the rest of the NFL and in their division. Uh, they play in a weak division. And what I do, TC, and one of the things that I tell people, and I didn't do this when I first started betting wins totals. It, it took a couple of years, and you kind of figure things out as you go along and you get more into this business. But I don't care what their opponents did last year. I don't add up their wins totals and their losses from the year before and say, okay, well, they're playing you know, the Washington football team, and last year they won seven games, and so I'm going to put seven and nine next to that team and add up those wins totals for Kansas City, if that's an opponent, for instance, for the upcoming season. What I do, listen, who's better than setting these wins totals than the guys behind the counter, the odds makers? I let them do that work for me. I just disregard what happened last year as far as teams' wins and losses. I take a team like Kansas City, for instance, and I put all their opponents on a piece of paper, home and away, and then I write down all the wins totals for all their opponents for the upcoming season. What do I care about last year? I want to know what bookmakers think about those teams this year. Uh, and they're playing in a very easy division. So you've got six games against Denver, Las Vegas, and the Chargers. Denver and Las Vegas both have seven and a half for wins totals in a lot of books. Uh, their biggest opponent, according to the bookmakers, are going to be the Chargers, who have a wins total of nine. Casey has a wins total of 12. Uh, there is a shot they could go 6-0 and within the division, home and away, uh, probably will lose one of those road games. But again, it's a very easy divisional schedule. And then I look at their road schedule. They're going to be at Philly, six and a half wins total for Philly. They're going to be at Cincinnati, six and a half wins total uh, for Cincy. Washington is a road team that they'll be playing. There's an eight wins total. Tennessee, nine and a half wins total. Their toughest by far road game is expected to be when they play at Baltimore, who has a wins total of 11. So if you look at that, you're saying, all right, Kansas City is likely to be favored against everybody, including Baltimore. If everything's going right, nobody serious is getting injured. And then you look at that and you say, you're almost, almost, never say locker guarantee, but you're almost there when it comes to road games against Philly, Washington, Cincy, and maybe even Tennessee. That's where you throw in when they start breaking down when they're going to be playing those teams if you still like those almost guaranteed wins on the road. You know, if Tennessee falls between the Baltimore Ravens on the road and the Chargers on the road, all of a sudden that Tennessee team that has a projected wins total of nine and a half going to be playing more like maybe an 11 wins team for Kansas City because of where they fell on the schedule. But overall, I think if Kansas City just goes 5 and 3 on the road, they get to at least 12 wins just going 5 and 3. We saw what they did. They go out and they get Orlando Brown. 
They're getting two starters on the offensive line back from two years ago who didn't play last year because they opted out because of COVID. I'm talking about uh, Lucas DeYoung and Lawrence Deverde Tardif. Those guys didn't play last year. So I think they're a team that you can bet over 12, feel pretty good that you're going to at least get your money back. I think Tampa Bay is an overplay again. They're not going to lose two games to New Orleans this year. They're not going to have the brain freeze against the Chicago Bears team in a primetime game and lose by a point in all likelihood. Schedule's not overly tough for them. And then as far as our Raiders, TC, boy, I think it's going to be tough to even go 8-9. and nine. I think this is going to be a tough season again. We see how they fail at the end of the season under John Gruden the last two years. I'm not so sure they're going to be able to win 8 and go 8-9 and nine this year. Yeah, 7.5 is the uh, number on the Raiders. You mentioned that you uh, have your totals on that done before the draft, which makes sense to me because most draft players, you don't know how they're going to fit in for probably a couple years down the road. Have you ever come to a situation where you're kind of looking at your numbers and all of a sudden there's something that goes into the free agent market or somebody changes a team that you go, wait a second, I need to make an adjustment like maybe last year when Brady went down to Tampa Bay? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's a quarterback that somehow they, a good quarterback goes from one team to another, there's an upgrade to that position, which doesn't happen often, but that'll be a difference maker for me. Also, again, when I look at uh, offensive lines, if I've got a team that I have projected, let's say, as a, a C-plus offensive line as far as their greatest concern, and they go out and they pick up you know, a top-notch left tackle, they might go from a C-plus to a B-minus, which to me is a big difference. And, and that's the kind of things I look for. Mostly, I'm looking for teams that can add a pass rusher, teams that can add a shutdown island type of corner, an offensive lineman, and the rare occasion that you see a difference maker at quarterback going from one team to another. So there's basically, for the most part, part four positions that I think can make a difference in your wins totals and how you have teams graded in those units. Scott, are you more one to look at, say, the good teams and, okay, I, you know, there's a good foundation. I'd rather maybe play an over on that. Or are you more about, like, maybe picking against the bad teams and, and playing unders? Or does it just, you know, it just varies? Yeah, it kind of varies, TC. I mean, it's one of those things where I do like to look at, you know, the public teams and, and maybe try to find reasons to play them under if the public is all over that team or vice versa. If, a, if the public thinks a, a NFL team is going to be down and it's not a legitimate reason for it, then I'll look to, you know, try to find reasons to play the over, just playing the opposite of the public opinion if it's overwhelming. And, and so it does vary, though, from team to team, and, and I don't really lock in. It's like when people say, you know, when you're talking about football where it's an 11 to win, uh, to win 10 bet or basketball when it's an 11 to win 10 bet, people always say, you know, well, I'm an underdog player. And I'm like, well, why do you want to cancel out half your opportunities? It's not like you're playing money lines in baseball where you're going to get extra money for winning with the underdog. And I, I tend to have that same mindset when it comes to over-under wins totals. I don't want to get too locked into one belief. All right. You look at the Buffalo Bills. They got a number of 10 and a half there. And when you look at that division and look at the success they've had and Josh Allen continues to get better and better, does that look like an attractive overplay? It does. I mean, at 10 and a half. And I know that's going to be kind of a public type of side. Uh, they do play a, a pretty easy home schedule. And, and I think it's a situation where, you know, if you look at them at 10 and a half, there's not a single team that they're hosting this year and they're hosting nine teams. There's not a single team on that home list that has a higher wins total than the Buffalo Bills. The closest would be Indianapolis, who has a wins total of 10 in most books. Everybody else is a good game and a half or more 
below Buffalo on their wins totals. So when I look at that, it's kind of funny because I'll say, you know, best case scenario for a team, and I divide it by home and away. Best case scenario for the Buffalo Bills at home, depending on how the schedule falls, is 9-0, and guys. You know, that's best case scenario. Let's be honest. Their home schedule is not that tough. It does pick up a little bit when they go out on the road because they're going to play Kansas City on the road. They're going to play Tampa Bay on the road. Tennessee, depending on where they fall on the schedule, that's a nine-and-a-half wins total team that they got to play on the road. And when you look at their schedule, only two of their eight road games are against teams that are expected to play less than 500 football this year. So, you know, best-case scenario to me on the road for the Buffalo Bills, probably 4-4. Four and four. They'll beat Jacksonville. They'll beat the Jets. But everything else is kind of a toss-up among their road games. And so even if they go 4-4, four and four, if you get a best-case scenario out of the Bills at home, you're talking 13 wins. If you're talking maybe they lose two of those home games, you're still talking about 11 wins on the season. And the over-under is 105 so for me, that gives Buffalo a very solid chance of topping that wins total of 10.5. And, and remember, this year you're not going 11-5, and five, you're going 11-6 and six if you top that 10.5. And right, and speaking of which, we were looking at this yesterday and seeing the Houston Texans at 4.5. And, and like you said, that's 17 games right now. Do you recall seeing a total of a team that low, Scott, at 4.5? Not that low when you factor in the, the, the thought that you're going to have 17 yeah. games to get it done in, you know. And, and the, here's, the, here's the kicker on this. I, I think it was I, – I, 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 you got to check. It might be William Hill that you do some you know, uh, work with on the radio show. But I heard today that it's something like 98 or 99% of the tickets thus far on the Houston Texans is under the total, <laughs> under the wins total. Uh, everybody's expecting Deshaun Watson, no matter what happens legally, to miss at least a good chunk of the season, if not the entire season. We know what's happened with some of the departures from this Houston team that began with their star wide receiver, you know, before last season even began. So this team is an absolute mess. Obviously, Watson's legal issues have been factored into this mix a little bit. Uh, it's going to be tough for Houston to top that four and a half wins, man. When you're looking and you're betting totals like this, how important is it to shop around and maybe try to find a team with a half game difference in one book than another? Or or is it pretty much their standard? These what the totals are kind of across the board. Or can you find some edges here and there from that betting line of maybe getting it? It's like, well, this one has it at four and a half, but this, these guys have it at five, so I'm better at the four and a half, depending on how you're going. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good point because you got to shop around. I mean, the Raiders you can find as low as seven and a half and as high as eight. If you like the under, grab that eight. That means you can go eight and nine and still get your money back. So it's extremely important, and you can find at least this time of year, and in probably for the next you know five to six weeks or so, you're going to find half point half game differences. I should say on on some of these teams. And that's a perfect example of the Raiders. You know, I'm looking to play under. There's no way I'm going to play under seven and a half when there are enough eights out there. So certainly shop around. You look at the Saints, and they got a number nine. And we all know that Drew Brees is not coming back. But let's be honest. I mean, there most of of the rest of that Saints team, offensively and defensively, is coming back. And again, with the 17 games, it's kind of hard to to fathom that the Saints would would not have a double digit win total this year. 
Yeah, I think they're going to end up right around 10 wins. You know, the total for the most part. I've seen on this team, uh, for the most part, nine and a half. But there are some nines out there. So if you're going to play the over, you obviously want to grab that nine. If you only win nine games, you get your money back. But listen, I'm not crazy about betting this team over this year. I don't know if I'm going to get there on the over. But, you know, they were 12-4 and four last year. And remember, Breeze didn't exactly play that well and also, he struggled early when he was, you know, early in the season for him. He missed, uh, what, four games. Right. And so it's a situation where they were having to go with Winston, Taysom Hill, and yet they were still able to put together a dozen wins. So for me, I think that over-under is a little bit short. If I'm going to jump on the New Orleans Saints, though, I'm going to make sure I get a nine. I don't want them to have to win 10 games for me to at least get my money back or win. If I can get nine wins out of this team and I've got them over nine, at least I can get my money back. So uh, I do think it's a little short. I think it probably should have been 10, 10 and a half instead of nine, nine and a half. All right, Scott Spicer joins us, Doc Sports, talking NFL win totals. Let's move over and talk some baseball. Scott, always uh, fun to bet baseball this time of year right now. And uh, still teams trying to figure it out early on in the season. But uh, you're, you're betting a little unconventional now. You've got a little, a little different trend that not only you, but other people are really starting to hone in on. Why don't you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, guys, I got so tired of getting, like everybody, getting beat up in the ninth inning, you know, over the last couple of years. And, and baseball at one time in, in my handicapping and betting career, if you will, which spans over 25 years, there were many, many years when baseball was by far my best sport. And over the last few years, five, six years, it's been the NFL. And there's been a couple of, you know, seasons now in baseball where I've had a good chunk of the season where I end up losing these games of the ninth inning like most people do when they lose. And I started doing this a little bit two seasons ago. Towards the, I'm going to say the last six weeks of the season, I had always kind of played around with first five inning games and first five inning bets, and, but never did it overwhelmingly. It would be maybe 10% of my bets over the course of the season. And this year, after I started doing this late last season, I started making first five bets, the first thing I look at every single night. And, boy, I think I've had about 20, 21 plays. I'm I'm conservative to start the season, but I've had about 20 or 21 baseball bets thus far, of which I believe now I've only had three or four full-game bets. And if you are betting unders in Major League Baseball – and you're betting the full game, you are not giving yourself a positive EV when you start the game. Uh, you got to really start thinking about if you're going to bet unders to play those first five innings, make sure it's a pitching matchup at the start of the game you like, and then make sure that, you know, as far as the offenses are concerned, their WOBA, their weighted runs created plus isn't off the charts like the L.A. Dodgers. I'm not going to be playing too many first five unders at all when it comes to Dodger baseball with that offense. But that's what I've been doing. And uh, the number one thing you can do when you're looking to bet first five innings, take the two starters of each game and just go in and see how they do uh, the first two to three times through a batting order over their last three to five starts and over the course of the season. Even go back a season or two and see if it's something that they've always done. And if I find a pitcher who struggles badly, let's say he's good the first time through the batting order, but the second and third time, all of a sudden he's got ERAs of five or six or six and a half, 
and he's going up against a starting pitcher that has a you know 4.5 or lower ERA the first three times through a batting order. I'm going to play that better pitcher, and I throw out the bullpens. I don't have to worry about the bullpens. I don't have to worry about crazy management decisions with bullpens, you know, coming in and out after the fifth or sixth inning, and it just eliminates a lot of the luck factor is what I found. So off to a really good start in Major League Baseball, and again, I just decided I'm going probably going to end up like 90 to 95% first five inning bets this year. I know you said that you're looking at the first five innings and says you don't have to worry about the bullpens. Do you foresee something down the road, or maybe you've dabbled in a little bit already, where you're on both sides of the same game, where you bet a team for the first five innings, but the other team you don't like their bullpen, and you're like, okay, well, I got my first five inning bet in there, and but these guys could easily blow it. Now the numbers may be in my favor, and uh, you go on the other side, and you could actually cash both teams in the same game. I haven't done it yet, but it could very well happen because uh, in those first five innings when all of a sudden, you know, a lot of times the pitchers I'm going against don't even make it through uh, five innings. So you're getting that bullpen a little bit earlier. But if their bullpen is decent and it's rested, I can certainly see where that could happen a few times this season where you're on one side first five and then you come back and have the other team for the full game. Not going to happen a lot but there might be a couple of spots along the way this season where that happens. I could see more with totals of being on the under first five innings, but being on the over full game. Because if you've got two starting pitchers and you're only betting the first five and the first two or three times through the batting order, even the pitcher you're betting on those first five innings might be a guy who never makes it, you know, after the fifth inning, he's gone. And so then you start looking at batting, excuse me, at, at bullpens and how batting orders do late in games. And all of a sudden you've got a first five under and a full game over. I could see that happen a little bit more than the opposite sides uh, throughout the course of the season. Scott, we know how much uh, you like hockey and you like the Golden Knights. Uh, you're, you're a big fan. And uh, the Golden Knights uh, obviously have been cashing tickets. Obviously, you've got to lay a lot of money. I mean, minimum, you know, 200 even when they're on the road. At T-Mobile, it's 230. It's minus 240. But, you know, you're, you're cashing those tickets if people are betting on them, if you don't mind laying money. Do you get into those situations, when, especially when you see the Knights against the Ducks and the Kings and even the Sharks here, and especially when you look at the record where you know the the Knights have beaten the the Sharks you know ten out of the last eleven and seven and zero this season, or do you just refrain because the price is too big? Most of the time, I don't play. When I do get involved, it's you know when I feel that the Knights are in a good situation where you can lay the puck line, lay a goal and a half, and reduce that juice a little bit. Uh, but there are times when I'll play them. You know, I, I generally try. Here's the thing. And, and a lot of guys like to bet UFC, and then they'll complain about betting a dollar ninety or a two ten favorite in another sport, hockey or baseball, for instance. And I always say, listen, you're willing to lay two eighty five on a UFC fight, but you're not going to lay a buck ninety on an NHL game. It's, for me, there's value. Like I do my own power ratings, I do my own lines. Let's say Vegas opens up minus two dollars over somebody. If my line says they should be minus two sixty, there's value on that big favorite. So. There are times when I will step in and lay that big price. doesn't happen a lot. And, you know, over the last few seasons, I've been playing NHL kind of situations that deal with teams that dominated their previous game but lost and are now laying a price again against another opponent. I kind of deal with that a lot more. So with Vegas not losing too many games through the course of the season, they don't fit the system too often. You mentioned uh, UFC there as well, and there we have the big card coming up tomorrow. Anything on that that you're looking for? I know there's three title fights, but each one of the champs are pretty big favorites in them. 
Yeah, I just got to be candid with you guys on that. I have not even handicapped it yet, and I'll tell you why. I got burned, well, not burned because you get your money back, but there were too many cards over the last 12 months when UFC came back to where I was kind of getting involved early in the week, and then I'd have three out of four fights would be canceled because of COVID testing. So, you know, just to be candid, and I'm sorry I can't really go in deep on it, but uh, I don't do my UFC handicapping until about midnight the night before the fights. And, and it's, I haven't even looked at the card yet. I just, one of those things where I decided I'm not even looking until about uh, 12 hours before the fights, and then I'm going to look and get involved and, and hopefully not you know, have a couple of fights canceled along the way. And that's what you should do, Scott, and that's, that's wise. That's what I do with boxing as well, too. I don't make a bet prior to the weigh-in, and again, because you just don't know what's, what, what's going to happen and th- those sort of things. So uh, anytime it's about making weight, uh, it's wiser to, to wait until later. All right, my friend, great stuff. Uh, they can find Scott. A great follow on Twitter, at Scott Wins, and of course at Doc Sports, so you can get uh, Scott's plays there. Doesn't matter the sport. The man is all over it the most dedicated handicapper that we know of and uh, appreciate you and scott uh, we're going to be talking kentucky derby next week man uh, do a little homework and uh, we'll get you on for that if you want i will definitely be uh, ready to go and we'll be talking some matchups i love horse racing matchups kind of like nascar <laughs> you got it brother all right man take care have yourself a great weekend and eat well my friend always man i just looked at your facebook stuff and my diet goes out the window you guys have a good one take care man there he is scott spritzer good stuff Boys, we start with food. We end with food, right? Nothing wrong with that. Well, it's a weekend. You're rolling into the weekend, so it's all about the food. You want to go eat this weekend? Sam inviting you. Where? I don't know. Just, just plethora of places. Here goes Numchuck. Look, Numchuck's oh, yeah. sticking his, yeah. his, his head over there like it again. Yeah, there's a whole city full of places, yeah. so, and it's <laughs> pretty much open these days, too. So. I don't know. Man. You'll you probably be watching some UFC fights tomorrow uh, night. I will definitely be watching UFC tomorrow night. Okay. Absolutely. And eating some food, too. Um. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's not important. Really? You don't think? I mean, when you go to these establishments, you you, you got to eat while you. Uh, I mean, you I generally do because I'm there for so long. But if I did need it, would that? That's not why I'm going. <laughs> yeah. I, I I could easily it's a parlay, just have man. a couple. Sodas it's a parlay. Nah, not 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 in my world. <laughs> it's the UFC fights. That's why I'm there. All right, everyone, have a good weekend. Uh, we'll reconvene on Monday at two o'clock. Well, thanks, Scott Spritzer, Bill, Bill Cartwright for joining us today. Go to the website, check it all out, tcmartinshow.com. Hear that interview with B.J. Armstrong and everybody else that's up there as well, too. Golden Knights article. Check it all out. Draft next week. Have yourself a wonderful weekend.